We're going to continue to look at our series on faithfulness. You remember that we started off this with a verse of scripture in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 20. Most men will proclaim each his own goodness, but who can find a faithful man? It seems that the faithfulness is a lot more a lot more common in our minds than it is in God's. That to God, faithfulness is something He doesn't see a whole lot. So it seems that God is counting faithfulness differently than we are, and so we need to learn from His Word how we can how we can change that. Last week we looked at Mary and Martha, and we saw how we can become unfaithful, because if we are not faithful, somehow we became unfaithful. We got to find out how to become faithful. When we looked at Mary and Martha, we saw that Martha was in there taking care of of all the food, getting food ready for the time that Jesus was there. But apparently that wasn't important to Jesus. And so Mary had picked the thing that was important to Jesus. If we're going to be faithful to Jesus, we've got to be faithful to the things that he calls important. So how do we get to a place where doing what we want seems to be faithful to God? Because we're going to look at, a, at someone this week. And he thought he was being faithful, even though there was plenty of evidence that he was not. And how many were up on Facebook saw the little little uh, blurb I gave up you gave up there for you? Appreciate both of you. All right, then the rest of you are going to be suspense because I I gave a little hint at something that was coming, so I'm not going to tell you. We'll we'll get there. But if you'll turn over to First Samuel chapter thirteen, First Samuel chapter thirteen, Saul reigned one year, and when he had reigned two years over Israel. Saul chose for himself 3,000 men of Israel. 2,000 were with Saul in Michmash and in the mountains of Bethel, and 1,000 were with Jonathan and Gebeah Benjamin. The rest of the people he went, he sent away, every man to his tent. Jonathan attacked the garrison of the Philistines that was in Gebeah, and the Philistines heard of it. Then Saul blew the trumpet throughout all the land, saying, Let the Hebrews hear. Now all Israel heard it, said that Saul had attacked the garrison of the Philistines, and that the Israel had also become an abomination to the Philistines. And the people were called together to Saul at Gilgal. Then the Philistines gathered together to fight with Israel 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen and people as the sand which is on the seashore in multitude. Now that's a lot of people. Just got to take that into, take that into your thought here. What's, what's coming on? 30,000 chariots. 30,000 chariots. There's people on them chariots and there's horses with them. 6,000 horsemen and people that couldn't be numbered because the multitude was so great. How many are with, with Saul? 3,000. Now, if you were in the Wednesday night service services or if you listen online, we spent some time on Jonathan. We spent a whole night on Jonathan and this particular battle. And if you were not there for that, you can go back up online. You can... You can download that, listen to it. We're not going to get into all the things that happened with this battle around Jonathan. We're just looking at some things that happened in this battle around Saul. But, oh, I'll tell you what, the things that Jonathan did there, quite astounding. You can see why people like that made their way into the Hall of Fame of faith. When the men of Israel saw that they were in danger, for the people were distressed, then the people hid in caves and thickets and rocks and holes and in pits. And some of the Hebrews crossed over the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. 
As for Saul, he was still in Gilgal, and all the people followed him trembling. Then he waited seven days according to the time set by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. How many people did he have? 3,000. How many did the Philistines have? We can't even count them. Plus 30,000. 30,000 chariots. Now, just if you're in modern day, that's like 30,000 tanks and you have none. That's, uh, that's, that's how formidable a chariot was. They could do a lot of things with a chariot in battle. And you had a hard time fighting them if you didn't have chariots to combat them or some kind of things to come against them. But he waited the seven days according to the time set by Samuel. So Samuel had set this up beforehand. He said, go over here, wait seven days. I'll be there. We'll do the sacrifice. We'll go into battle. So somehow he had an expectation of going into battle and that there would be victory. But he's only got 3,000 guys. And the enemy has more than can be counted. And of his 3,000, he's losing them. So Saul said, verse 9, Bring a burnt offering and peace offerings here to me. And he offered the burnt offering. Now, it happened as soon as he had finished presenting the burnt offering that Samuel came and Saul, Saul went out to meet him that he might greet him. When did it happen? As soon as he finished sacrificing. As soon as he finished sacrificing. How many like that crime show, NCIS? Oh, yeah. And uh, how, many, how many know who Gibbs is? Anybody not know who Gibbs is? All right, Gibbs has a thing. He says, he says, uh, there's never any coincidences. He doesn't believe in coincidences. And this is not a coincidence that Samuel comes immediately after the sacrifice is made. You see, God was watching this whole thing play out. And God had given a word to Samuel and Samuel came and brought the word to Saul. And God said to Samuel, I want him to wait seven days. Because this is a test upon him. God wants to impart on Saul something great. He wanted to make of his house an enduring house like he made with David. But the offer first came to Saul. Saul doesn't know it. But he's being tested for that. Let's see if he will hold to what I have said to do. Or if he will alter it. So Samuel is waiting. Is it time to go yet? Nope. Hold on. Is it time to go now? Nope, not yet. Is it time to go now? Yep, now you can go. And uh, by the way, Saul didn't wait. He didn't wait. So it happened as soon as he had finished presenting the burnt offering, Samuel came and Saul went out to meet him that he might greet him. And Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul said, when I saw that the people were scattered from me and that you did not come within the days appointed and that the Philistines gathered together at Michmash, then I said, the Philistines will now come down on me at Gilgal, and I have not made supplication to the Lord. Therefore, I felt compelled and offered a burnt offering. And Samuel said, or Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. Now look at those words, you have done foolishly. What was the will of God that was stated? Wait seven days, Samuel will come, and the sacrifice will be made. I mean, that's not hard instructions, is it? Wait. Samuel will come. We'll make the offering. That's not hard. But Saul messed it up. He felt compelled. 
and changed it. It's not that he did not understand what was supposed to be done. Because he knew he wasn't. Because Samuel says, what have you done? And he says, well, it's like this. The people were scattering. The Philistines were gathering. And you weren't here. So I felt compelled. We had to make supplication to the Lord. You weren't here to do it. So I stepped in and and I got it done. He says, you have acted foolishly. Do you know that whenever you act according to your own will instead of God's, in God's eyes, it is foolishness. No matter how good what you think, it, how, how good it was, doesn't matter. God sees it as foolishness. No matter how good your intentions, when you stray from what God said to do, God calls it foolishness. He says, you have acted foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. This was the test. If he would have passed this test, we probably never would have heard of David to the degree that we did. And Jesus, instead of being called the son of David, would have likely been called the son of Saul. But that's not what happened. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Then Samuel arose and went up from Gilgal to Gibeah of Benjamin, and Saul numbered the people present with him about what? 600 men. Now, we are not talking about a man who is not a faith man. Saul is certainly a faith man. Because if you're going to go into battle and you have 600 guys and you're going to go against 30,000 chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and an army too numerous to count, how many of you would say that's a faith guy? I mean, that's a man of faith. We look at Gideon, he went out with less numbers, but not much less. 600 people. And he's prepared to go into battle. I understand all the other people have fled. They got scared. Where's Saul at? He's still in the battle. He hasn't fled. There's a lot of good things to be observed about Saul. It's not all bad. But he didn't keep the commands of the Lord. And it was important for God that he keep what God said to do. And he didn't do it. I put this in your outline for you. I've given you this before. Prepared people perform. Prepared people perform. If you prepare yourself, when the time comes, you will perform exactly as God wants you to do so. Saul did not prepare himself. He was not ready. He could have been ready. God expected him to be ready. But he wasn't. Prepared people perform. Unprepared people explain. Saul was in the ex explaining part. You see, the things we say to ourselves determine greatly our direction and destiny. What kind of things do you say to yourself? Do you repeat to yourself the things that God says about you? 
Or do you repeat to yourselves the things that other people say about you? Or the things that you feel? The things that you hear on the inside? What kind of things do you say to yourself? See, Saul was saying things to himself. Saul, the people were leaving. Saul, the Philistines are gathering. Saul, you haven't made supplication to the Lord. You need to do something. And he heard this and he acted. And God said you did foolishly. Voices will come to you and tell you to do things against the word of God, tell you to go in direction, and you can very easily think it's God. Here, he did not. I put this in your outline for you too. What is unfaithful in God's eyes can usually be viewed as faithful in man's. What is unfaithful in God's eyes can usually be viewed as faithful in man's. Now, God wanted Saul to have victory in battle, didn't he? Wasn't that the will of God? But to Saul, that was the will of God. The will of God was, let's have victory in battle. He perceived this whole thing, why we are here, the purpose for which we are here, is to have victory in battle. God wanted there to be victory in battle, didn't he? But apparently, that wasn't at the top of the list. The top of the list, because they got victory in battle. If you read on in the next chapter, which we're not going to do, you'll see they got victory in battle. But that was not the top priority. The will of God was actually to learn trust in a difficult situation for which he didn't do. He just focused on victory in battle. And because he thought the will of God was victory in battle, everything he did was about getting that victory. But God says... Victory in battle is second compared to you learning trust in me. And he failed that test. Now the victory still came to Saul. But just because things worked, folks, doesn't mean that we did it right. The victory came because of Jonathan's faith, not because of Saul's, even though it had to take some faith to stand there in that battle. I can get what God asks to be done, but doing it my way is not a faithful person. That's not a faithful way to go about it. We have to go beyond what is seen and know what God says. I got to know what the purpose that God has for us, what he wants. Now, I've learned this over the years that um, uh, you can't just ask people to do something. You sometimes have to communicate with them the purpose for why it's being done. Because some things will change all along the way. And you have to alter that. We just saw that here today. It went on. None, none, none of you probably even saw this going on. But uh, Keith and I had some communication before the service about some, some things and uh, about moving something. And so he went about it. And I told him the purpose. The purpose for moving this is, and I gave him what the purpose was. And in my mind, in order to accomplish that purpose, the move had to make, a, a, there had to be a certain significant move. And so he went to do it. And he flagged me down. He showed me. He just moved it a little bit. And I said, uh, you can kind of see, well, that's not, that's not enough. You could probably see that in my face. And so he flashed over to me. He said, hey, this is the purpose. This is what we communicated. We did this all this without people, without people knowing. This was the purpose and I accomplished it. I said, oh, good. Okay, we're good. <laughs> all right. So even though it wasn't done exactly the way I said, it was done according to the purpose. And that's what needed to, be, to happen. We've got to be turned on to the purpose 
of what it is. I put this in your outline for you. Formulas often produce partial obedience, but it takes faith to produce full. Formulas often produce partial obedience. It takes faith to produce full. When we operate in this area, all we see is that something needs to be done, not what God wants done. And so we end up just doing stuff. We don't end up doing what God wanted. We ended up just doing stuff because I wasn't brought in to what the purpose of God was. Now, if you're up on Facebook today, I told you about a story that a story I've communicated to you before. But as I was going over this, meditating on this purpose, I got slapped upside the head. And <laughs> I mean, it's good when that happens because then you learn stuff that you, I thought this was good, but it wasn't. I did something and I thought I did it within the will of God. And I found out I missed God completely. Now, I've told the story to you. I'll guarantee you not a single person here heard in me telling you this story that I missed God. Because I didn't believe that I missed God. I didn't believe it at all. But if you remember back back when my, my son was involved in basketball and soccer, we had a, a particular episode in one year that he was involved in basketball. And um, we were doing uh, basketball in the summer and basketball in the winter. And we did soccer in the, uh, in the fall, I think it was. So we had a bunch of seasons that were taken up. And so we were in the summer basketball program. When you're in the summer basketball program, you have to put five guys out on the court in order to have, you know, a team. And we were given anywhere from 10 to 12, I forget what it was, I think we we're probably given around 10 players for each team. But in the summer, guess what happens in the summer? People go away. <laughs> And, and when people go away, they usually take their kids with them. And so you lose some, some kids that are not coming out. Sometimes it's just too hot and some of them don't want to play. And then sometimes they're on vacation or they're away or whatever it might be. And so most times you come together for summer basketball, you are hoping you get five guys. But then all five of those guys have to be out on the court at the same time. And there's no rest and you're playing in the summer. So, um, you know... <laughs> You just do what you can. So what would happen is sometimes we would have other people and we could pull them in. If we only had four guys, hey, we've got somebody here. We can pull him in. We go to the other coach. Do you mind if I bring him in? We'll put him in. That way we don't have to forfeit the game. We can uh, we can keep on playing. Sometimes we even had it that a player from the other team would come over and just switch jerseys. And then we just play that way. And if you could do that, then you, you do so. But if they were short on players, it wasn't something you could always do. So uh, one of these times, I remember Angel. Angel would come out in here, and, and uh, one particular time she uh, brought her son, and um, uh, our two sons, they just love playing with each other. And so we just said, well, you know, you're coming back. Uh, how about if he just stays with us for the week? So he stayed with us. Little, little Damon stayed with us for the week. We had him over at the house. And so we were still going out to the summer basketball program. Now, little Damon, uh, if you remember him, he's not, of course, he's not little anymore, but he was little then. But he was a really good basketball player really good and so we had him play on our team and i asked the other coach do you mind if he plays and he says sure you know because we were at four guys he was our fifth guy and so he uh they let him play and so he uh he he played now the 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 league that we were playing in it was predominantly white i don't know if any of you ever know this or not or noticed it before when they were here but um angel's black It might be new, but I just wanted to, you know, let you know. And her son was black as well. And so they were playing. Now, I, this means nothing to me. 
we just put them on out there and let us go. Well, there's this one particular individual who made some racial comments to Damon. Now, I didn't pick up that they were racial. I heard, but I didn't pick up that they were racial. He came over to me afterwards and told him about it, and eventually he told his mom. His mom was furious. Oh, she was mad. He said, what? <laughs> so when I got caught up in this thing, and I found out what was said and what it meant and how offended they were, I got angry. Because I despise racism. I just don't like to, to see that sort of stuff go on. So I knew the young man who had said it. And instantly on the inside of me, I got angry. I was mad at him. How many think that's the will of God? I wanted nothing to do with this young man. I don't need him on my team. Don't want, don't want nothing to do with him. And in the fall, we would pick basketball players. I'm sorry, in the, in the winter, we would pick basketball players. You would, uh, you would draft them. But when soccer, they didn't, there was no draft for soccer. They'd just hand them out to you. They'd just divide them up and they would hand them out to you. So you just go and you pick up your envelope and here's your team. I looked at the team. Guess who was on my team? This young man. I want to trade. That's my first pop. My first thought. I want to trade. I want to get rid of this young man. I don't want him on my team. And, um, well, there's no trading in, uh, in soccer. You got who you got. So, all right, we got this. So we just started going along with, with the thing. And uh, you remember the story? You know, we, uh, we were able to do some things with him. I saw some, some uh, attitudes in him, and, and we could help him out. And so uh, we, we did some things. And I'm not going to tell you all the different stuff that we did, but by the time we got to the end of the season, he was, um, he was, he was a great person on the team. I was glad he was on there. I didn't see any of the, the, the racial stuff that we had before. But um, uh, we went through that season. And then we, we went into the basketball, or the basketball season in the winter. Basketball season in the winter, this is a draft. In fact, for most of the years, we held the draft over in the children's church. Because the, uh, you had to bring, uh, I don't know how many it was, 10, 12 guys into a place. You had to have a place big enough for them to be able to, to meet. So we just did it here. Brought more people out to the church on that night. And so we, uh, we just had the draft here. And so we would begin the draft. You know, you have first round, second round, third round. Well, this guy could play soccer, but he could also play basketball. He's a very good basketball player, and as I heard people talking about, he would the, they discussed him. He was a first-round basketball talent, but everybody knew if you took him, you got a guy with an attitude. He has anger issues. There were problems in the team, and nobody wanted to deal with the problems that this guy brought. So he would fall from the first round, and you would pick him up somewhere in the fourth or fifth round. You'd get first-round talent in a fourth or fifth-round pick. And even then, some of the guys said it wasn't worth it because of all the stuff that he, he brought along. Well, I had a whole season of working with the guy, and I said, I think we can change this. And so uh, I drafted him. I don't think I drafted him until the third round. I wanted to make sure I got him. So I was able to take two other guys who had talent, first round, second round, and then bring him in on the third. And as soon as I took him, all the other guys said, oh, you don't know what you're getting into. You don't, you don't know... And said, I said, oh, well, I had him a little bit in the fall. I think I can, I think I can work with him. And so we, uh, we worked with him and his parents came up to me during the season sometime and they said, you are the first person that has come into his life who believes in him. We've seen such a change in the way that he goes about things. We're so glad that you got him on the team. And beginning of basketball, we saw some of the same anger issues and immediately the refs jumped on him. 
and immediately the other coaches said things about him. And I pulled him aside and I says, you are not that same guy. You do not let these words that they say affect you. Now you sit down here on the bench for a little while, you cool off. But you are going back out and you are going to play. And you're going to keep your temper under control, aren't you? He says, I am. And he went back out there and he did all right. We had a good season with him. And things uh, things had gone really, really well. And um, that's the that's the extent. I mean, it went on. I think the, the next year in basketball, was our, which was our last year, the uh, I didn't get to draft him. He went in the first round, and he went before I even had a chance to pick because other people saw he had value. And it became valuable to him. Now, that's the, that's the extent of what I knew of the story until I was uh, meditating on this here. And I found my utter failure in the whole story. Complete failure. I had substituted my will for the will of God. And I didn't realize it until we were going through this in this point. You see, what, what was the will of God for this young man? The will of God was for somebody to take him under their wing and help him out and bring him through these things that he did. What was my will? I'm not touching him. The boy said racial things to someone I care about. I'm not bringing them on. That was my will. And do you know, I felt completely fine in having my will be God's will. And yet, it took me years to figure out that wasn't God's will. God's will that somebody would, would help him out. God's will is somebody to take him on. And I sat there thinking I had the will of God. Because I was standing against racism. Can you see how I missed it? And I completely thought I was in the right. I said, dear God. I came upon him by accident because somebody put him on our team, which I'm sure you had a hand in. But shouldn't I have listened and heard you say, I have a purpose for that man. Go get him. But I didn't hear it. And I wouldn't have heard it because I was so convinced that your will wasn't there. Hmm. So I blew that one. I messed up. Thank God it worked out anyway. But let's take a look over here at 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 1. Samuel also said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore heed the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he ambushed him on the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and do not spare them. But kill both men and women, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. So Saul gathered the people together and numbered them at Telaim. 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 men of Judah. Now that's substantially bigger numbers than what he had before, isn't it? He started out with 3,000, got on down to 600. Now he's got 210,000 foot soldiers to go into battle with. His forces are stronger. Now if you were God, would you give Saul another assignment? Would you do it? 
How many of you say, uh-uh, I'm not giving Saul nothing more. And how many of you would think that if you were in Samuel's spot, you would not have given this assignment to Saul? No way. No, that, and you would think you had the will of God. I saw how he messed up. You rejected him. I am not giving him another assignment. But you see, God did. Why does God give him another assignment if you so terribly messed up the first one? You see, Saul still sits in the office of king. He still has that calling on him. Now notice this. This one, this part surprised me a little bit because again, we're looking at this story through faithfulness and not through obedience, which we have done in, in times past. But God speaks to Saul through the prophet, not to someone more faithful. He speaks to Saul. He sends the prophet to Saul. He doesn't say, Samuel, go find somebody more faithful and speak to them. Notice who he speaks to. He speaks to Saul. Why does he speak to Saul? Because he's in the position. He's on the anointing. So many people in the body of Christ think that that God has bypassed the office of whomever is over them to speak to them Because for some reason they have deemed them unfaithful. I'm sure no one here has ever done that. But you may know people that have done that. Other churches, you know, other places may have gone on. And see, once we think that God will bypass the king and speak to me what his purpose is, what spirits are you opened up to? Word of God says, test the spirits. Make sure that they're of God. How many times have we done this? I've been in a position before. I'm thinking, well, I think God has shown me something because the pastor or the head of the company or whoever it might be, they're not functioning the way they should. So God has told me his purpose. Look at this story. It is obvious that Saul let God down and God still sends the prophet to Saul. Keep that in mind. This is how God does things. This is how he he works. So he tells him very clearly, heed the voice of the words of the Lord. And he tells him what to do. He says, go and attack Amalek. Amalek, verse 3. Utterly destroy all that they have And do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. Now, this is more wordy than God usually gets into. Usually, he just says, go out there and wipe them out. But we've had trouble before. We're going to make this clear. So, look at how God does it. Go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and... Do not spare them. He could stop there and he's, he's already given the word, right? Destroy their stuff and destroy them. But he goes on just to make sure that we're clear. Kill both man and women. Infant and nursing child. Ox and sheep. Camel and donkey. Wipe them all out. Nothing should be left. Now, this is back in the day when there was just men and women. <laughs> just a little, little side note on that. 
I always love that line that they, they did in um, uh, Last Man Standing. And he starts his speech out. And he goes, ladies and gentlemen. And the lady and the, the, the daughter. Anybody see that scene? One of the best scenes from the whole thing. The daughter says, um, oh, no, you can't say that. What do you mean? Well, you're leaving some people out. No, that's all of them. <laughs> and he was very confused about that. But we have society that doesn't quite, uh, doesn't quite see it this way. But anyway, God does destroy both man and woman, infant, nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. Wipe them all out. That was the, that was what was said. Now he had gone through some training here, but he didn't, uh, he didn't accomplish all that he was supposed to be trained at before, this trust part. He didn't accomplish it all. He had the victory, but he didn't accomplish it. See, Saul's already begun to walk in unfaithfulness. So what is more likely to happen? A change or more unfaithfulness? See, once you start down the path of unfaithfulness, it is hard to get yourself back off because most times we don't even determine that what we're doing is unfaithful is. Verse 5, And Saul came to a city of uh, came to a city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. Then Saul said to the Kenites, Go, depart, get down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you show kindness to all the children of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. And Saul attacked the Amalekites from Hilvala all the way to Shur, which is east of Egypt. And he also took Agag, king of the Amaleks, <laughs> can't even say this, king of the Amalekites alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. Almost got that one right, huh? But some of the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good and were unwilling to utterly destroy them. Unwilling to utterly destroy them. Not just Saul, but the people. But everything despised and worthless, that they utterly destroyed. You see, in order for unfaithful people to do the will of the one who's commanded them, they have to agree. Oh, I agree that this is worthless and should be destroyed. Oh, I agree this is worthless and it should be destroyed. Oh, I agree. This should be taken out. Oh, wait a minute. That has some value. I don't agree here that this has no value. God didn't say it didn't have any value. He said utterly destroy it. But he didn't, they didn't do that. No, we, we can't quite, we don't, we don't quite agree. Unfaithful people will do faithfully whatever they agree with. But see, that's not faithful. Now, verse 10. The word of the Lord came to Samuel saying, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And he grieved Samuel and he cried out to the Lord all night. So when Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told Samuel saying, Saul went to Carmel and indeed he set up a monument for himself. And he has gone on around, passed by and gone down to Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Saul and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Unfaithful people 
see themselves as faithful. What does God see him as? Unfaithful. But Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears and the lowing of oxen which I hear? And Saul said, They have, they have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. And Samuel said, Be quiet. Now I'm sure he did not say that in a, in a real nice tone. Be quiet, and I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And he said to him, Speak on. So Samuel said, When you were little in your own eyes, were you not head of the tribes of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? Now the Lord sent you on a mission. The Lord sent you on a mission. That's what he's telling. The Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, But I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me and brought back Agag, king of Amalek. I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took the plunder, sheep and oxen and best of the things which should have been utterly destroyed to sacrifice the Lord your God in Gilgal. Even when confronted with their unfaithfulness, unfaithful people not only make excuses, but still view themselves as faithful. Verse 22, Then Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you from being king. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. seems our focus is not on I have sinned, but that you need to come back with me. I need to be honored. But Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord. And the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. And as Samuel turned to go, uh, turned around to go away, Saul seized the edge of his robe and it tore. So Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And also the strength of Israel will not lie nor relent. For he is not a man that he should relent. Then he said, I have sinned. Yet honor me now, please, before the elders of my people and before Israel and return with me that I may worship the Lord your God. So Samuel turned back after Saul. Saul worshiped the Lord. Samuel said, bring Agag, king of the Malachites, here to me. So Agag came to him cautiously. And Agag said, surely the bitterness of death is past. But Samuel said, as a sword has, as your sword has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. And Samuel hacked Agag in pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. And Samuel went to Ramah and Saul went up to his house at Gibeah of Saul. And Samuel went no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. We have partial obedience here. And I've given you these reasons before, but I wanted to give them to you again. What causes us to be partially obedient? Or another way you could say this is what causes us to be faithful to what we want to do? 
Because partial obedience is faithfulness to what we want to do, not what God. If we're going to be completely obedient to God, we are completely faithful to His Word. When we become partially obedient, we have become faithful to ourselves and not to Him. The first one is ignorance. I don't know. The first reason that we would have partial obedience is because I don't know what obedience is. I haven't learned what obedience is. In Acts chapter 3, verse 14, But you denied the Holy One, the just, and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and killed the Prince of Life, whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. And His name, through faith in His name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through Him has given Him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Yet now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance, as did also your fathers. See, they were ignorant. Ephesians 4.17 This I say, therefore, and testify to the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness, with greediness, but you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Once they learned who the new man was, they're supposed to put him on. But before they had the old man, they were ignorant. Ignorance is one of the reasons partial uh, obedience. I don't know. Here's the second one. Neglect. Basically, in I don't care. In Joshua 18, verse 1, Now the whole congregation of the children of Israel assembled together at Shiloh and set up the tabernacle of meeting there. And the land was subdued before them, but there remained among the children of Israel seven tribes which had not yet received their inheritance. Then Joshua said to the children of Israel, How long will you neglect to go and possess the land which the Lord God your fathers has given you? They knew it was theirs, but they haven't been obedient to take it yet. So they, they had this attitude of neglect. I, I don't care. I, I got enough land over here. We, we can We can be all right what we got. We don't need to go out there and do all that. But God said to First Timothy 4.14 Do not neglect the gift that is in you which was given to you by prophecy which the laying, with the laying on of hands of the eldership. Just because a gift has been given to you doesn't mean it just blossoms on its own. Don't neglect it. Here's the third reason. Fear. Or basically, I can't. For God has not given us a spirit of fear but a power and love and a sound mind. We all know that verse really well. Second Timothy 1 verse 7. Heaven, Matthew 14, verse 30. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and began to sink. He cried out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? See, fear came in. He began to think, I can't. I can't do what I am doing. Because of fear. Here's the fourth one. Distrust. Or basically, I'm not sure. Psalm 18, verse 30. As for God, His way is perfect. The world, uh, the word of the Lord is proven. He is a shield to all who trust Him. We gotta trust in the Lord. That's one of the things that the Lord was trying to, to get Him to learn. Trust Him. Don't give in to all the things that are going on around you. Don't look at what the, the Philistines are doing. Don't look at what the children of Israel are doing. Listen to what I said to do and do it. 
In uh, Psalm 20 and verse 7, Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. And finally, Psalms 37, verse 1 and through 5, Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on His faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and He shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in Him, and He shall bring it to pass. I put this in your outline for you. Trust is not a lack of fear and uncertainty, but the presence of obedience and steadfastness. Trust is not a lack of fear and uncertainty, but the presence of obedience and steadfastness. Listen to what God has said to do and do it and be faithful to it. Don't keep going around second guessing it. What has God said to do? That's what you need to do. This trust is built through little things. When we build it through little things, we are ready for the big things. Saul didn't learn that trust in the the battle before this one. But that's what we need to have. We need to learn this trust. I put this in your outline for you. Don't become good at the wrong things. <laughs> Sometimes we have become very good at the wrong things. Don't Don't be good at the wrong things. You want to get good at the right things. Be good at the things we're supposed to do. Saul became good at doing things his way. Now think about this. What things have you become good at that you really shouldn't be? I'm going to give you a list here. Now, I might hit something that, you, that, that you're thinking of for yourself, but don't uh, just don't react to it. No one will know. What, what possible things have you become good at that you should not be good at? Some people have become good at being critical. They can spot a problem in a person from a mile away. That is not something to be good at. That is not something that is faithful to God for. You are not helping. You are listening to the accuser of the brethren and thinking it's God. Don't be doing it. Don't be being critical. Don't be seeing the worst in people. The Word of God says, see the best in them. Believe the best. See, see the best in people. Help them out. Some of us are really good at finding things to get angry over. Seems like I got something to be angry over today, something else to be angry over tomorrow, something else to be angry over the next day, and twice on Tuesday. We just find all kinds of things to be angry about. And we're real good at it. Don't be doing it. Some of us have gotten real, real good at harboring bitterness. No, don't be harboring bitterness. Don't be good at harboring bitterness. This is not the kind of thing that you're supposed to do. You're supposed to let these things go. You know the list we have in Galatians. We're supposed to get rid of the bad stuff. We're supposed to be pulling in the good stuff. The thing that uh, Corinthians describes love being. That's what we're supposed to be good at doing. We're not always out there doing these things. See, these things are not weaknesses. They're not just problems. They are sin. And we need to get them out of our life. They have a hold on us. They have gained a foothold, a stronghold in our life. And it must be broken. We've got to get rid of it. It doesn't come easily. But if we don't take it on, we're going to go the way of Saul. And what one time we just didn't uh, do it quite right, it's going to, we're, going to, we're going to become changed to where he actually starts to try and kill people. I put this in your outline. This is important for you to get. 
fear sees things that faith does not. Fear sees things that faith does not. Faith sees things that fear cannot. Faith sees things that fear cannot. You see, when you have fear, you can see things that faith doesn't see. It could see it if it wanted to, but it chooses, nope, I am not going to see. We're looking beyond that. We're looking past that. Abraham, he could have considered his own body, but the Word of God says he moved past it. He did not consider his own body. He went in another direction. Fear sees things that faith does not. Faith, it will see things that that fear cannot see. It cannot see it. Someone in fear, you can be looking through the eyes of faith and you can see something just as clear as, as can be. And a person in fear is looking and they can't see it. It's not there to them. But you look at, there it is. There it is. I can see it. Get on that side of things. Don't be on the other side. Know this, Saul first changed the way he, uh, the way he did what God asked and was rejected. That was the first thing he did. He first changed the way he did what God asked and he was rejected. The second time he altered what he did and still felt he was faithful. You get that? Saul first changed the way he did what God asked and was rejected. He didn't wait the seven days. He offered the sacrifice on himself, but he still went into battle and he still accomplished the purpose that God had. The second time, he altered what he did. He didn't kill all that he was supposed to kill. He didn't destroy all that he was supposed to destroy. And he had reasons for it. And still, he felt he was faithful. Can you find some things that you have become good at that really you shouldn't be? Whatever those things are, it is keeping you from being faithful. You need to get rid of them. You need to learn how to believe in other people. I don't care if they don't believe in you. You need to believe in other people. You need to find the good in those people. You need to say, God, what is your purpose for this person? How can I bring that purpose that you have out? Don't get lost in what people say. Don't get lost in what people do against you. You keep your focus. God, what is your purpose? What is your plan in this situation? Because a faithful person finds out what does the Father want done. And no matter what, they will do what the Father wants done. How do you want me to go about this? What is it that you want me to do? And when I have the will of the Father, then that's what we, we set out to do. That's what we, we go to do. Gotta listen. He's gonna give you some words. I was listening to a minister and they were uh, working on a building program. And, um, they had some, they had some land for it. And, uh, every time he went and prayed about it, this is the word that he got from God. 50,000 square feet. 2.7 million. That's all he got. And he would tell you, I, I went down, I prayed and I prayed and I prayed to get more. About, I don't understand. I need more. That's all he got. 50,000 square feet. 
1.7 million. So things were moving away, moving along. They had gotten some land. They were working on building. They had the uh, blueprint drawn up and the funds for this fun, for this were just not coming in. They were not coming in. The, everything they did, the funds were not coming in. They were not coming in. And they went before the Lord and uh, asked the Lord. The Lord didn't say anything to him. Didn't say a word to him. And so all he had was what the Lord said. Remember what he said? 50,000 square feet, two. Point seven million. He went back and he looked at the plans and he saw down at the bottom 54,000 square feet. He said, oh, I missed it. He said, he went back to the architects and he said, I need you to trim 4,000 square feet off of this building. It needs to be 50,000 square feet. Architects went back, they trimmed it all down, got it to 50,000 square feet. As soon as they did that, the money came in and the building was built. Does 4,000 square feet make that much of a difference? So you've got to hear what God says. And when you hear what God says, you do it. Understand there's some people that are over us and they will hear some things that God says. It's not my role to second-guess them and to say, I don't think God said that to you. I think God spoke something different to me. But you see, one thing you got to learn from this story is no matter how much the leader missed it, God still spoke to them because they were in the position. Be careful how you speak against people that are over us in, in the body of Christ. You may not like something that certain people are doing. And sometimes people didn't like what Oral Roberts did when he built a hospital. Some people didn't like some of the things that were done when they built ORU. Some people didn't like some of the things that Brother Creflo Dollar did or Brother Fred Price did or different ones. And they were all... How many people have you heard going around and they talk about, I don't think that they should. I don't think that that ought to go on. Like God is speaking to them about what they are supposed to do. Can you see how much we've missed it? When we start falling into that, folks... We, we don't have to ask ourselves. We know I am unfaithful. I am an unfaithful servant. And how can God speak to me and trust me with something when I have been this unfaithful? I need to repent of being unfaithful. Get back to doing what God said to do. And then we'll see prosperity come. And then we'll see the plans that God has for us become success, successful. What a change it would have been if Saul would have waited a few more hours. Can you imagine your entire life altered for the negative because you did not wait one more hour? What a life-altering decision it was and he didn't realize it. He still thought he was faithful. Would you all stand up with me? Father, I know that there have been times that I have thought myself faithful. That I have thought I was doing what you told me to do. But actually I was doing what I wanted to do. And that's not a faithful person. Help us, Father, to realize...
before it's too late, before we get to the place of rejection, like Saul did. Help us to get to that place where we humble ourselves, that we don't think so highly of ourselves, but we keep constantly taking our plans, comparing it to God, and asking you, what is it that you want me to do? So often in the Word of God, not only did you tell people what to do, you told them why you wanted it done. You told them your purpose. Father, we need to get caught on to the purpose that you have. The purpose that you have sent. And be obedient to the word that you said to do. Help us, Father, to learn faithfulness like we have never learned faithfulness before. So many places we've had opportunity to miss it. Father, I say that we have missed it and never realized. Didn't realize we were fulfilling our own will because we thought that God's will was our will. But we need to have that separation. And just as Jesus in the garden said, not my will, but yours, he had a will that was different, but he realized the separation that was there. And he stayed focused on the will of God. And we can do the same. With every head bowed, no one looking around. If you're here today, and you say, I have at times been unfaithful. I have at times lived up to what I thought should be done. Not necessarily what God said ought to be done. If you're here this morning, you say, that was me. Raise your hand up. Say, Father God, I repent right now. I repent of doing my will. I want to do yours. Father, you see the hands that are raised up. We realize that we have missed it. We've been faithful to our own will and not to the will of God. Father, I thank you that there's forgiveness and that we can move on And we can learn the will of God. And though just like Saul had difficulty staying there and waiting and waiting, he learned, he was supposed to learn obedience. He didn't. Father, you will teach it to us. And we're ready to learn and to listen. Because when we come into a place of faithfulness, the rewards that we receive will be great. And you desire that we have rewards to receive. So since you desire it, we desire it. I thank you for it, Father. Give you the glory and the praise. In Jesus' name. Amen. Sister Marguerite. Good morning, everyone. Um, I'm always grateful to be with my church family here and those watching um, by way of Internet. Uh, I always count it a privilege. And I I thank God for the words that we are taught. Um, And I want to be faithful. Um, If we are still here, 
each of us, each year that goes by, um, we don't stand still. And so as uh, our lives continue, uh, I want to be able to listen and to receive the word that we are being taught. And I'm so grateful that uh, we have teaching that keeps us looking into God's word and wanting to be like that word. And we are getting the tools of how to do it. So I'm so grateful for that. Um, I'd like to uh, go over the praise reports that we received today. Jolly Jr. says that he got his license finally through God's help with one try. So I'm sure dad and mom are very proud of that. (laughs) Also, Jolly Jr. says, God helped me lead a rally against racial a racial incident at his high school on Martin Luther King Day, uh, which was featured in Channel 69 as well. And that's a blessing because um, many times, especially as a young person, uh, we are born again and we have our friends around us. But when you take that step out, um, it would be nice to say that everything's going to be flowery and rosy. But once you uh, take that step, there are going to be those that are going to shoot um, arrows at you, and it's not going to be kind, and it's not going to be sweet all the time. But Jolly Jr. took that step against something that he saw that was wrong, and he did something good that was um, picked up by the news media, and I think that's great. Uh, Jolly Sr. says the federal government shutdown is over. We thank God temporarily for three weeks. We do thank God, and we thank God that... Um, there will be those things put into place that uh, this will be permanent. So we, we're so grateful for that. Uh, Sister Candy is seeing that um, her husband, Bobby, has been having headaches now for uh, three days, and it's not his sugar. And as I read the, um, the need here, um, I, I went to James 1.5, and it says, If any of you lack wisdom... Let him ask of God that gives to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given to him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. And sometimes when different things come up in our lives and we're not sure uh, of how we should respond, uh, James 1, 5 is telling us as if we lack wisdom in a certain area that we ask of God, and as we ask and then ask after we ask and God gives us direction, then we declare that. So uh, we declare the continual healing in Bobby's body and these different things that come up uh, as the sugar gets taken care of, then it seems like something else. But we know that God has told us in his word, if we lack wisdom, that we ask him and God will give us direction as to how to deal with that. So we just stand with you. Sister Candy and Bobby, that God gives you wisdom to know how to deal with the situation. And we thank him for victory. Now, uh, next Sunday is our covered dish dinner um, and church meeting. We start right after the morning service, and we plan to be done about around 2.15 p.m. Uh, in case those of you have Super Bowl party plans. Bring a main dish, side dish, salad, and or dessert, enough food for your family, and a little extra if you can. And then there's the men's trip to the Philadelphia Auto Show. 
it's a little over a week away, Friday, February 8th, um, to either, and they're going to either meet at the car show or ride down in one of the vehicles going. So either way, um, plan on a trip to Famous Dave's Barbecue for dinner afterwards. See uh, Brother Keith if you're interested in going. So again, that is the men's auto show trip. Um, I just thank God again just for the privilege of being with such a wonderful family. You all encourage me, and um, I thank God for the privilege of just being among you. So uh, as you leave, greet one another, and um, we'll look to see you soon. Okay.